from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Say wake up call with Dan Tortora special featuring Herm Frazier and Herm, someone who has been with Syracuse for over a decade, 11 years, and really from the day he walked through the door, we've had the opportunity to speak with one another and spend a lot of time together. It's it's been a little while, and so it's good to have Herm back. Herm, how you doing today? Doing well, Dan. Uh, obviously, uh, we're here at the. Uh ACC tip-off for uh, women's basketball, and I think it's been a, a good day for the sport of women's basketball. Yeah, you know, when we look at women's basketball and uh, women's sports in, in general, the importance of making sure that we, we spotlight women, I, I feel like it's not done enough still nationally. What can you say about the way that the ACC has conducted this tip-off here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and just what women's sports mean to sports in general? Well, first of all, I tip my hat to the conference because this is done first class. The way the uh, student-athletes on our team move from station to station and, and get to talk to people, um, within the media, within within your realm of responsibilities and how they handle that, I think is, is very nicely done. I would also like to add that I think it's important um, when the coaches who are having lunch with the uh, commissioner, and there's three coaches in there who I have known through the Olympic movement who are now in the conference. Tina, who's, uh, who's at Virginia, Obviously, Kara Lawson, who's at Duke, and Nell Fortner, who's at Georgia Tech. So I've come across all three of them at one time or another, um, just with them wearing other hats on behalf of women's sports. And and obviously, I think people have gotten to know uh, Von Reed over the last couple of months, and it's been good for him uh, to be in and around uh, this type of environment. And I was certainly proud of him and also our uh, student athletes we have representing Syracuse University. You know, and you bring up Vaughn, and, and I've known Vaughn since he came into Syracuse, uh, getting the opportunity to step in as the head coach with the departure of, of Coach Q. But going back to that moment, uh, what can you say about seeing Coach Q leave and then Vaughn elevate? Because I know that obviously you've been around them both for a long time. Well, obviously I can't go into too much detail on um, Coach Q um, resigning and, and leaving from the program because uh, obviously that's some, some HR issues and HR obviously is human um, resources issues that are involved there. But I think it's important that, and, and for your listeners to understand, that Vaughn stepped right into that position eager and willing and ready to assist. Uh, he did not think about it uh, one iota and he is, he is just a wonderful person for these young women to be around, and and I think uh, he has strong values, and he's and he's done a terrific job to this point. And I spoke with the student athletes representing Syracuse here at the ACC tip-off for women's back basketball, uh, speaking with Christiana and and Chrislyn, and they both 
spoke very highly of Vaughn and, and brought up the fact that Vaughn went to each of them individually and spoke with them individually about the opportunity that he had to become the head coach. What does it mean to you that Vaughn wanted to personalize that and almost check in with the team to see what their thoughts were? Well, obviously, um, many of those student athletes were wondering what was going to happen with their future. And for him to do that, there's no playbook. Yeah. To, to be able to do that. I mean, as I listened today to, to Vaughn and I went to every single station with him and people kept asking him about the books he wrote about plays with basketball. But in the, in the human race and being able to show humanity with those young ladies, there's no playbook for that. And so that just tells you what kind of person Vaughn Reed is and obviously... Um, that was a home run with the young ladies who he was dealing with. And Christiana said that they kind of lobbied for him, that they, they wanted him to be the head coach. What does that mean to you, being at Syracuse University, that the team came together and said, hey, we, we'd, like to, we'd like to keep Vaughn and we'd like to let Vaughn lead us? Well, a lot of times... And it, all sports are different, but one of the things that's the common denominator is the university itself. And I always tell people, no one person, no one coach, no one individual is better than the entire university. And I think what you see there is that those young ladies wanted to stay because they were recruited to a, to a system, they were recruited to a university, and as I listened to them during their media sessions today, some of the things they talked about was how they wanted to be a part of Newhouse, they wanted to be a part of Syracuse Athletics, they wanted to be here, and I think that's the reason why they stuck around. Here with Herm Frazier in a very special wake of call with Dan Tortora down in Charlotte, North Carolina, here celebrating the ACC tip-off. There on the men's side of it, there are three Bayheims now. This is unheard of to see something like this. Buddy, Jimmy, and Jim all in one place, all on the same team. Buddy told me you might as well throw Julie in there because she'll be around practice and whatnot. But what do you think about what I'm calling, and, and I would like to remind people, copyright and all rights reserved to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora and Dan Tortora Broadcast Media, that I have been dubbing the Bayheim Cubed. What do you think about Bayheim Cubed? Well, I, I think it's unique. I mean, you don't normally find something like that, of that magnitude, of having um, two sons and being coached by their father, and their father being a Hall of Fame coach and a person who has uh, been involved with the university for, I believe, 43-plus years. And it's, it's just uh, it's a family affair, and I think that's what you're seeing. Uh, I suspect Buddy, who really had a, a nice year last year for us through the postseason, now has to share a little bit of that spotlight with his older brother. So that, that ought to be a little interesting. You being around collegiate athletics for as long as you have been in different facets of it, uh, NIL, I asked a lot of the coaches and the players about it here at the ACC tip-off. How do you assess what name, image, and likeness is? How much do we know about it? How much do we need to know? Where do things kind of stand to argue for it? And, and how much information do you think is readily available and how much is kind of still up in the air? 
I call it uncharted territory and uncharted waters, and we're still going through it a great deal. Um, there's still a lot of things that people have to learn about NIL. I think it's, it's, it's good for the people who are able to take advantage of it. I just hope it doesn't divide people between the haves and the have-nots because you always have camaraderie on teams yes. and you hope you don't lose that aspect of it. However, NIL's a long time coming. I was kidding um, some of our compliance people the other day because I told them when I went to the Olympics, I was a junior. So when I came back with my gold and bronze medal, I still had another year of college. So I told them I would have crushed NIL. <laughs> and they all just started laughing at me. But uh, NIL, is it opens up opportunities. And if you're a young person who's in college, and especially someone who comes from a family uh, that has needs, it's an, it's an opportunity to help your family going forward. For you know, Jim had brought it up, Jim Beheim speaking on the fact that there, there is not a, a unified message or a template or a plan and that that can, you know, be divisive. The haves can have more, the have-nots will have less. What would you like to see happen as you've worked in some really incredible and, and important rooms when it comes to athletics uh, worldwide. What would you like to see happen? Would you like there to be a, a unified kind of plan implemented, a central message from the NCAA? W what are you hoping for? Yes, I'm hoping for something that's central and unified. Um, I've been working, our governmental relations people from the university have had me involved with um, our elected officials in Albany. So I've actually had a couple trips to Albany to meet with some of the elected officials to talk about NIL. And we will continue having those conversations going forward. I suspect sooner or later, the great state of New York will, will come up with some kind of plan. And we just hope it's a plan that we can live with. And it's not a plan that's gonna hurt our program. So that's the reason that Syracuse University is trying to be on the forefront and get out front and work with those people to make sure that we don't have any issues. And so I think if you can start there, Dan, with the, uh, the states and then continue to move forward because eventually it may have to go to the federal government. But at this point in time, it's a wide open street. It's kind of unsettling. But at the same time, it's out there. But you just hope no one gets into trouble with uh, anything that can happen if people become too innovative in, in how they're trying to um, apply the rule. That coming from Herm Frazier here with us on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora of Syracuse University. You have seen different leadership at Syracuse. You've, you've had, uh, over these last 11 years, uh, different Athletics directors come through, uh, Dr. Daryl Gross, obviously they're uh, John Wildhack now, and uh, amidst all of that, uh, an AD that was not even there a calendar year, how have you navigated through the changes in leadership, and what's life like with John Wildhack? Well, obviously I'm smiling because 
a lot of times that doesn't happen. Um, if if you are high on the totem pole as I am at Syracuse, sometimes when new people come in, they decide that maybe they want to go in a different direction and bring somebody else in. I can tell you when I was first recruited in 2011 by Daryl Gross, um, he knew that the department had some issues and he wanted me to come in and change some systems and do some things. So I basically told everybody that I was coming in for a cup of coffee. Yeah. And uh, that cup of coffee has <laughs> been 11 years. And I've worked with a few people since then. Um, fortunately, fortunately for me, I knew John Wildhack when I was the athletic director at um, the University of Hawaii. When I was in Hawaii, we were very successful with our football program and even played in the Sugar Bowl against the University of Georgia. And John did not remember, but we were also, I was also involved with the Pro Bowl. I served on the Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl Committee for um, the Hawaii Convention and Business Bureau. And so he came out representing ESPN, and him and I had lunch, and we were talking about uh, some of the games that I had scheduled for Hawaii to play because Hawaii could always play one more game over and above whatever the NCAA is. So if the NCAA played 11, Hawaii could play 12. NCAA played 12, um, Hawaii could play 13. But my 13th game was always a big time game. It was, I had Alabama, I had Michigan, I had Washington, I had Michigan State. I had those types of teams come out and ESPN loved it because they put those games on air always and it was the last game of the season yeah. because then all the championships would be gone like normally that week of December the 5th or 6th or 7th around there and then because of the time schedule our game would be the last game and so John and I when he got here um, I think people on campus and people also within the athletics department told him what kind of uh, worker I was and I think he realized that and the relationship between John Wildhack and I is just unbelievable and I think I think he, he treats me just like his right-hand person in whenever um, he needs to talk about something and I'm probably the last guy in the room. So being the last guy in the room what does that do? Being not only in the room, but being the last person there with John, what is what does that do for you and, and for your career, and and what does that mean to the the greater community that supports Syracuse, knowing that you're going to be in the room for those important conversations? Well, you know, sometimes sometimes we agree, sometimes you disagree, but at least you have the opportunity to speak your mind about about what it is you think about. Um, having said that. Um, Dan, I could also tell you that I've had opportunities to leave Syracuse um, to go to different positions. One was uh, a professional organization in the NBA that was trying to get me to take a look at a position. Um, athletic director's jobs, headhunters contact me once in a while. But at this point in time, I'm having fun at Syracuse. And there's some people who say, or am I going to retire anytime soon? I mean, I'm getting up there in age, but I think as I come to work every day and being around these young people and seeing different classes come in and everything else, it kind of rekindles the fire and, and keeps you going. 
we see titles evolve the senior deputy athletics director I mean is that still the the uh, title for you is there is there more added to the name now I feel like there's always another word that gets added no I'm, I'm the senior deputy director that means uh, I'm the highest ranked uh, deputy director that we have but I, I think the other thing is and I, I touched a little bit upon upon this I also do other things for the university for instance uh, the chancellor has leaned on me, and I think since the last time I spoke to you, I represent the university as the president of the Syracuse Stage Board of Directors. Uh, the university has around seven to eight positions um, who are trustees of the Syracuse Stage. Yeah. And Syracuse Stage is very important to our, uh, our VPA, um, Performing Arts. Um, school and um, I work there with the Dean and I work with other people um, in running the theater portion of the stage. I also serve on other internal committees. I'm on the, uh, the university threat management team so whatever comes up that's an issue on the university I deal with that. I'm also on uh, two other committees uh, on behalf of the Chancellor of the University, so my portfolio is kind of out there more so than just sports. And for you to, to have a little bit of uh, a piece of everything, there's so much uh, with Wake Up Call, why it's named Wake Up Call, and then my tagline where sports meets life, that uses sports as a vehicle for the greater scope of life. We live in a world today where there are many powers that be that seek to divide us all. Right. And how can we bring it together? How can we find a way to to come together in a world that's seeking to make you choose a side, wants you to choose a side? How do we choose each other? Well, it's been interesting the last, the last year and a half, the last couple of years. Um, I mean, we've seen a lot of change in society. We've seen a lot of change in our, in our country. We've seen protests, uh, we've seen sit-ins, we've seen all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, what you have to do is people have to respect each other. And I think that's where it starts. If you can respect a person for what they believe, if you can respect the person and, and not try to, uh, to divide the country and put people in different classes, um, I think that would help everybody going forward. I mean, we're all human beings. We all have um, our own families. We all have our own values. We have all these things to be thankful for. But at the same token, for the world to get better, everybody's got to get along better. And while we all may come from different backgrounds, it's one universe, and it's uh, it's. It's opportunities for everyone, but we have to come together as people. That coming here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora with Herm Frazier of Syracuse University. Herm, you've been, like you said, you've been in the room, uh, last in the room, and with different ADs, you were there for the hiring of Dino Babers, the departure of Scott Schaefer, the 
retirement, just kidding, of Jim Beheim, as well as the uh, moving on of John Desco, the moving on of Coach K, the uh, acting uh, head coach for Von Reed, as as well as Gary Gates shifting from women's lacrosse to men's lacrosse. What can you say about the coaching moves, and especially now, because it feels so it feels like there's a lot of moving parts at Syracuse. Well, you got to take Coach Beheim out of there. You try to sneak that in. You got to take Coach Beheim out of there. Yeah, we know he's going to coach forever, but I get asked every year. <laughs> but uh, you know, athletic departments are unique animals, and um, obviously, Coach Dino Babers is the football coach right now. And while we're three and three. We certainly wish we could be better. However, three and three is pretty good compared to where we were last year. Yeah. And so um, we got a lot, a lot more football to go. And and I think Dino being able to change up what he did with his offense with uh, Schrader at the uh, at the quarterback and what he's done with the running game with our with our um, running back has done great. Um, Gary Gate sitting in the, the in the um, same building down the hall once John Desco retired, I think was a was a natural call. Um, Gary s- stepped in. He's he's put together a phenomenal staff um, for those student athletes in that sport, and I think we're going to see some good things there. Kayla coming in from uh, BC and, and to be honest with you Dan there were there was a lot of talent who wanted that women's job and I think as we looked at it um, and, and there was a lot of talent who were who had Syracuse connections which was also important but it was we look at Kayla while she's uh, she's young she's talented she's hungry and she's, she's going to come in there and try to do the best job she can possibly do. And so, yes, there's always change in athletics. No, no department just sits there with the same coaches. Uh, there's always either retirements or marriages or, um, or milestones met that people decide to move on. I mean, those are the things that happen in sports. And so, as administrators, we have to be prepared for whatever is going to come around that next curve. And in positions that we've been in, we've been able to knock on wood, be successful with whoever's coming in to uh, to sit in that chair. And, and Herb, before I let you go, there's a very important part that I want to end with, but we have to kind of run the gamut here because life has become so interesting. With We talked about NIL, but the transfer portal, the opportunity for players during a season, really whenever they want to, to throw their name into the portal, an immediate opportunity to go somewhere and play right away. The ACC and other conferences not having you sit out a couple years if you go within conference, uh, not having to sit out a year at all. How do you assess the positives and potential, I don't want to call them negatives, but the consequences of the transfer portal? Well, the first thing I can say is it's a new era, and if if a student athlete does not want to be at your school, then I don't think you want that student athlete at your school yeah. because he or she's not going to be happy, and it's going to be disruptive to your team. Now, having said that, the one thing you don't want 
is your peers to re-recruit your kids. Meaning, if I'm playing in the ACC or even another Power 5, Big 10, or Pac-12, if you missed out on Sally Smith on the first go-around, and Sally Smith comes to Syracuse and is real successful, don't try to recruit my kid to come play for you. I don't, I don't think that's right. And as we go forward, I mean, I think you're going to see student-athletes continue to transfer, but let's hope it's for the right reasons. And let's hope it's not for NIL. Let's hope it's not because you're being re-recruited, like I just stated, and you're looking for the next best deal. Um, let's settle down, get acclimated where you are, and be able to go from there and be true to your word. The college football playoff, another big piece here. The thought of it going to 12, it, it's gone through a bunch of pieces that it needed to go through. How important is it to expand the college football playoff? Would you like to expand the college football playoff? Having worked with Bulls, having worked in that realm, is that something you'd like to say? I'm not sure I want to go to 12. If I had a vote, I would probably go to 8. When you go to 12, there's, there's still a lot of more football to be played, and then it gets you further into January. And then that makes for a long season because now these students are coming back and they're on campus in July. Yeah. And then if you're playing football all the way till the middle or, or end of January, I, I think that's too long. That's almost equivalent to a, uh, a pro schedule. And I think the pros just went to 17 games. Uh, so that, that's a lot of games. Yeah. And it's a lot of wear and tear on the body. Now, the revenue is good, probably for all of us, but I, I'm more concerned about the student-athletes. Realignment, obviously having to do with this college football playoff. Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 to join the SEC. Then the Big 12 taking BYU out of independent status in football and also plucking from the American, taking Cincinnati, taking UCF, and Houston. Realignment <coughs> looks like it could get ugly again. And it could change the landscape. It would give the SEC almost 20 teams if all goes through. How do you view realignment, and where does Syracuse maybe view the fact that the climate is changing again? We haven't spoken internally about Syracuse and where, and where we would land. We love where we're at right now in the ACC. We think the ACC is solid. And uh, while there, there's going to be some turnover with those other conferences, we just got to make sure you're taking care of your home conference and everything's good in your camp. Obviously, I think that the Big 12, unfortunately, got caught napping, and those guys made that decision to make the move. If, Nobody asked me, but if I was in the uh, American, I would have been more aggressive and stolen the Big 12 teams. Because the Big 12 may have had the contract and the longevity 
but the American had the better teams that the Big 12 wanted. You know, and, and and I thought about that. I actually put a whole plan together that they go back to TCU, who they originally had talked to, and that they look at Baylor, they look at Texas Tech, you know, that they had made those moves. I thought the American was in better footing to take than the Big 12. Absolutely. I mean, if the American is aggressive and gets those schools, but nobody asked you and I. That's <laughs> yeah. what I would have done. I yeah. would have I would have brought those schools into the Big 12. And then, and then I probably would have sent, or if I was the Pac-12, I probably would have stolen uh, Oklahoma State and maybe TCU to give me the Dallas market for television. Yeah. But, and then Kansas might have been left out there, but then the rest of the guys should have gone to AAC. Yeah, you know, and I thought the plan worked, and I also would have moved West Virginia into the ACC, and I would yeah. have brought Maryland back. So there was a lot of there's a lot of moves I would have made, but you and I weren't asked. It seems like you and I would have agreed in the room, so maybe that's something that we we uh, down the road could pull off, or maybe we should be part of realignment. <laughs> well, we we may know it better, um, and I know you're getting ready to end here, but um, there's one thing I would like to say. As you know, when I when I came in, I also came in with Floyd Little. Yeah, that's and, where I want to go. Uh, Floyd Little, uh, there's going to be a ceremony on the field during the Clemson game at halftime, and uh, we're going to do a little celebration for the life of Floyd Little. And as you know, to me, he was one of the best men I've ever been around, and I'm just really, really pleased that the university is going to honor him at halftime at the game on Friday. And that, and that was my final piece, and I, I saved the best for last. Floyd, almost 10 years ago, changed my life as I honestly thought I was shaking hands with a ghost. You know, I, I felt like, you know, he was so larger than life, I couldn't believe that I had the honor to, to talk to him, to, to meet him. And, you know, after almost a, a decade of a friendship that I considered him a very close friend. He was at a crossroad in my life, gave me great advice. He was there for me, did a video for my G-Mama's 100th birthday. And I know that as close as he was to me, he was even closer to you. I consider you one of his, I think, two best friends in the world. And you and I have not publicly spoken about it. But, you know, I find it very hard, and I don't know how you are with this, but in my studio, I have the Denver Broncos hat that Floyd signed, and I have the book that he signed, and it's off to my left. And I find myself that when I look at it, you get that feeling, that chill. You almost get choked up. And to me, I'm waiting. Because in my head, I'm like, oh, Floyd's just out in Vegas. And I'm waiting to go to a game and see him turn around and go, hey, there he is, and give me a big hug. And, and so I guess I guess for me, it's it's taken a long time for me to accept the fact that he's, he's back with the Lord. And, you know, I'll, I'll see him again someday. How have you navigated these waters because I know that he is so dear to you and, and he was, I mean, your friendship was so beautiful and so great and I value you both so tremendously in my life that, uh, you know, and, and it's because like minds and like hearts that you're just good, genuine people and, and I love that about you both. So how have you, how have you been? 
it's it's really been tough on me. Um, I uh, I think about them often, and there's a there's a, a big photo of him in his Hall of Fame jacket that's right outside my office. So I see him every day, and and he's just looking at me. And just like he would always say, he'd look at me and just go, Herman, you dirty dog. And I can just hear him saying that. But uh, I see him every day. What did he leave you with, like, more than anything? What, what is the one thing that you can lean on the most from Floyd? He really cared about his family and uh, his kids and his grandkids. And I learned a lot about that from him, to, to stay stay grounded and always cherish your family. He told me a long time ago his grandson Blaze is coming to Syracuse and going to wear 44. So if that happens, are we going to honor that? Are we going to let it happen? We got we got to get Blaze out of high school first. <laughs> I was going to say. But uh, I mean, uh, such a tremendous life, always smiling. How how would you describe Floyd if if someone had never gotten to meet him? What would you say? I call, I call Floyd a citizen of the universe, that he's just a guy who's everybody's friend and he can go anywhere in the world be anybody's friend and um, you couldn't have a better brother, a better father, a better grandfather or just a common friend than Floyd Little. How true has his heart always been? Oh, he's. He just loved everybody. Um, I don't think there was a bad bone in his body or bad thoughts in, in his uh, system. He was just Floyd. And I know that you sit right in the back of the press conferences, and, and I know you're back there for like Jim Beheim and you're back. You always sit in the back row when it comes to the football ones, and he used to always sit next to you. Do you feel him there? Yeah. I mean, we, we would to our own, we analyze the game as, as best we thought, and we talk about certain things, and and even though I was a track athlete, he respected my football <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> what was the last piece here? What was, uh, to you, the best part of your friendship? We laughed every day. And, I mean, we laughed every day. And when he would have his belly laugh going, you knew <laughs> that... Uh, I got to him on something, but there were times when, during the course of a day, neither one of us would go to lunch, and we'd be in one or the other's <laughs> office just cracking up, telling stories for an hour. And there were sometimes there was so much noise down our end of the hall, people would go tell Gross, "Hey, you got to tell those guys to be quiet." <laughs> and Gross would say, "I'm not going down there and talk to either one of them." So those were the days. Those were the days. That coming from Herm Frazier in a very special wake-up call with Dan Tortora Spotlight. Herm, as always, I appreciate you. Okay, thank you. Good luck to you.